Welcome to Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. This is Eric Mann, your host. I'm in studio with Channing Martinez, both the co-host and the producer of Voices. And we are streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. We're live streaming, whatever exactly that means, but apparently you can see it as a video, which is why I shaved and other things. And... You can tweet me at Eric Mann Speaks during the show, and Channing has the phone, and if we, if we get anything, we'll read it. So today is a sports show. It's, it is, I was sort of calling it uh, Eric Mann's Revolutionary Sports Takes, and I was a little sarcastic, and I said, okay, okay, well, it's not very revolutionary, but it could be fun, which is revolutionary in itself. And here are some subjects for my 35-minute rant before you call in to pontificate, debate, elate, and hopefully elevate and ingratiate with our audience. But I can't help myself. The reality is everything is either revolutionary or counter-revolutionary because everything is political. Sports, as you know, is the largest cultural intervention in our society, even more than film. And film is second. But certainly for black people, which is continues to be one of our central themes on the show, and third world people, and women, and black women, everything is political. I mean, so as I started out this morning thinking, you know, well, it's sort of like, I mean, in a more serious way, you know, you say... Uh, they're taking six million Jews into the concentration camps and they're killing gypsies and they're killing communists. And the person says, I don't get involved, I'm not political. And you go, that's a very political statement because in a racist society, you're either fighting racism or you're on the side of racism. In an imperialist society, our government right now is intervening in Venezuela. You're either going to do something about it or you support the intervention. Now, I don't want to overly make equations between the invasion of Venezuela and Tiger Woods winning the Masters. But everything is political. And since so much of this is racial, let's have a good time, but also let's pay attention and see if I can get to some point here. So let's start with why Tiger Woods winning the Masters may be the greatest sports 
story of the decade, or at least year, or at least day, or at least minute, as the speed of social media destroys time and memory. Yeah, wasn't there a guy, Tom Brady or something, that won something or others? Like five of those things? But people's attention spans, as they say, have been reduced. But mine isn't, because I come from a generation where at a philosophy where history is relevant and memory is relevant. And the Tiger Woods story is pretty incredible. I want to take seriously his total mistreatment of his wife. We've done that story, and I don't mean that it's over, but she's moved on, thank God. And we know that there were serious issues of how he behaved inside his marriage. But Tiger Woods, and it is a but, is still a black man who is the greatest figure in the history of golf. And for those of you who don't know, he began at three years old. He was uh, trained by his father, who was a Green Beret. We knew about Tiger Woods when he was six years old. There were pictures of him at six years old hitting amazing shots for a kid. So by the time he got into the pros, those and I was not a big golf fan, Everybody knew Tiger Woods, and then he proceeded to have the most incredible 10 or 15 years in the history of any sport where he just dominated every single uh, major. If he would be up by one point, one sh stroke on the 18th hole, all the other players would wither. He would just look at them like, you don't have a chance. And they would say, you're right, and they would play below their surface, but below their capacity. Now, in basketball, you know, the trash-talking and psyching is a big thing, but in golf, up until a black man did it, it wasn't the biggest thing, but he would actually just look at him, and he would win the, the majors. So he had 14 majors. He won many, many others. I don't know all the majors. The U.S. Open is one, and the Masters is one. He's won four other Masters, and then... Both his mind and his body and his soul collapsed about 10 years ago. His back went out so badly that he couldn't walk. And this is a guy who was one of the greatest physical athletes as well as one of the greatest mental athletes in golf. And there were all kinds of people writing him off completely. Tiger will never win another match, let alone another major. The Masters, which is a big racist uh, spectacle in Augusta, Georgia, uh, is still the biggest golf story. And you end up, if you win, you win this green jacket. It's a very cool thing within a very racist thing. And yesterday, on Sunday, Tiger Woods won his fifth Masters and his 15th major which is incredible after a 10-year, a true, true comeback that's almost beyond belief. Uh, deeply moving. Everybody was already saying he was doing very well going into the, uh, the last 18 holes. And then I was reading why Tiger will not win. And I was doing some, watching base, basketball and all of a sudden it said, Tiger Woods won the Masters. It's a major, major thing. Congratulations, Tiger. Everybody, of course, President Obama tweeted him, and everybody else tweeted him. But I know you're waiting for me, Tiger, so this is my chance to tell you we're all happy for you. It's an incredible event in, in the history of golf. Very happy for you. So you can tweet me at Eric Mann Speaks, and that's story one.
four majors. Thank you. Is that Ricky? You're on the case. Masters, U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA. Thanks. So those are the, what, in other words, you can win the Hoboken Open, you can win the New Jersey Open, but those are the majors. And he's won 15 today, starting with, the, with his last Masters. All right, you got it? So that's Tiger Woods, story one. Story two, why Patrick Ewing and the Knicks are going to win the lottery and get Zion Williamson, or wishing can make it so. Now, I am beyond a New York Knicks fan. It's The word fan is short for fanatic, and I've been in therapy for about 50 years over this. I actually went to solitary confinement in prison when the Knicks won their first championship in 1971. I was in prison. I've been there for demonstrations against the war. The Knicks won. And I knew how to play it with the guards. And there was a post-game interview. And the guard said, well, the game's over. You're going back to your cells. And I said, hey, guys, in a nice way, the, the Knicks have not won a championship ever. I would like just 10 more minutes. And they said, well, you're a prisoner. Get the hell back in your cell. And I said, well, in a very respectful manner. And then I went ballistic on him and said, don't you tell me what to do. You are racist dogs, and we're going to win, and the Knicks won, and you got to let me. And the next thing I knew, I'm in solitary confinement for three days. So that's called a Knicks fan. And they have not won. They won a second time with Willis Reed in 1973 or 74, and they have not won since. Now, Patrick Ewing was one of the truly greatest Knicks. Uh, he was a center, he was, and they won him in a lottery. So the way it works is that the NBA teams, because they didn't want to have that the worst team gets the, f the best pick and the second worst team gets the second worst pick, which I wish it was, but all the teams that don't get into the playoffs, they get to pick, and you might have a 3% chance, chance of winning, a 14% chance. If The worse you are, the more, more ping pong balls you have in the lottery. And the Knicks got Patrick Ewing, I don't know, 25 years ago. And he then went on for 15 years to be one of the greatest Knicks, and they never, ever won a championship because they had this guy named Michael Jordan on the Chicago Bulls, and they could never, ever beat Michael Jordan. And then when Jordan was gone, they couldn't even beat, not couldn't even beat, they couldn't beat Hakeem Olajuwon and the uh, Houston Rockets, although they went to the finals. So my point is, that now the Knicks have the worst record in the NBA. Woo, woo, we're number terrible. And that's called tanking because the concept is the worse you are, the more ping pong balls you get in the lottery. And this year, the player who's similar to Patrick Ewing and similar to LeBron James, that is to say, he's in a league of his own, is a guy named Zion Williamson from Duke. He's about six seven, six, eight, but he's one of those monster and graceful and ferocious dunker and just takes up enormous space on the—he's just a, a gift from God, and he's done great work with himself. He's 19 years old. So the Knicks are hoping to get Zion Williamson. Now, there's also a guy named—I uh, uh, don't have his first name right. I'm going to say— John Morant, all right. See, uh, Ricky's on the case. I was going to say Zoe Morant, but that's Alonzo Morning. So at least I got one person listening. Hey, Ricky, we got this. So uh, 
say his name again, the first name? Jara Moran. He's amazing. He's Everybody agrees he's going too. And then there's J.R. Barrett, right? And he's number th- R.J. Barrett. But come on in studio, man. I need your help. R.J. Barrett. If the Knicks get one, two, and three, I'm fine, okay? But they got a 14% chance for number one, a 14% chance for number two, apparently. So just when you had 25% chance, if you had the worst record, they changed the rules this year. So the Knicks only have a 14% chance. The Knicks have about a 46% chance of getting one of the top three or four. And the worst they can do because they have the worst record is number five, but there's a big drop-off. There's a big drop-off from one to two. There's a big drop-off from two to three, in my opinion. And then there's a big drop-off from three to the rest of the pack. And I am very frightened. That's I'm not No, I'm not very frightened. Positivity. I forgot I, I did a... A mantra on this. So you don't say, I hope the Knicks are going to get. You say, the Knicks are going to get Zion Williamson. And the Knicks have picked Patrick Ewing to sit at the dais for them. Now, this has absolutely no relationship to the ping pong balls. Those ping pong balls don't care who's sitting at the dais on a logical level. But sports is nothing but illogical, insane. That's why I sit up while I'm working on a history of STS and I'm working on everything else. And I dream of ping pong balls. And I dream of Patrick Ewing and the Knicks getting the number one pick, which is sometime in May. And of course, we're going to tell me what about May 14th is, is the lottery. And then afterwards is the draft. But the draft's not that important because... Once you got the ping pong ball right, you know who you're going to pick. So go Knicks. And now I'm going to actually uh, move on to why KD and Kyrie are going to go to the Knicks, uh, which I'm worried they're not. But no, I'm not worried, of course. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to the Knicks. Positivity. And the Knicks are going to get Zion Williamson. Kevin Durant right now is... The co-best player, in my opinion, well, there's three. There's uh, James Harden, there's uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and there's uh, Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant may want to go to New York to try to save the franchise. First, he was in OKC with Russell Westbrook. They came within an inch of beating uh, the—oh, this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines on KPFK. I almost forgot you're out there, but I hope you're listening. And uh, so Kevin Durant is a free agent. Something's going on with him now. He had uh, two—he fouled out yesterday. He's had technical fouls. I think he's really in a lot of turmoil, really, and I think he's in a lot of contradiction. You can send me a tweet at Eric Mann Speaks. I'd love to hear from you. So Kevin Durant, if he goes to the Knicks, and if Kyrie Irving, who worked with LeBron James and hit the game-winning shot against Golden State, if they go to the Knicks, along with Kevin Knox, who they already have, along with Mitchell Robinson, who they already have, along with Lonzo Trier, who they always have, and a lot of, oh, and Frank Smith Jr., who they also have, it's going to be fun. To me, it's not as important if they win a championship. I'm saying now. But, of course, if they get Kevin Durant and Kyrie, they really have a chance. So, Nick fans out there, 
I actually think there's a basis for optimism. Just get number one, two, or three in the draft. I think Kevin Knox is being underrated. I don't know what they want from the kid. He's 19 years old. He's got a three. He's got a floater. He's got, he can drive to the hoop. Got a low percentage, sometimes a low motor, they call it, which means he's not as energetic as he should be. But he's going to be excellent. He's 6'9 already, and he's a small forward, and I think he's terrific. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson is going to be super great. I think Lonzo Trier, who knows Kevin Durant, may help him in a small way of getting him there. Go Knicks. And go Eric Mann. He needs this. Uh, KD is four texts away from being suspended one game in the playoffs. He's received uh, two of the six allowed in two games. That's right. And what I'm getting to is something's going on with him, that this isn't, he's too good for this. Something like, why is Patrick Beverly irritating him so much? I mean, come on, he's your Kevin Durant. Okay, we're going to move on. Why Le'Veon Bell, go Jets, got it right, by not spending another year banging up his body for the racist Big Ben, the one in Pittsburgh and the one in England. Did you get that, Ricky? You got that. In case you didn't figure it out, I'm from New York, New York, the Big Apple. And then thanks Gil Scott and the Last Poets, New York is a state of mind that doesn't mind effing up a brother. So you got to go on YouTube and hear New York, New York, the Big Apple with the Last Poets, which is a diss on the Big Apple. But we can't play it on this air because almost every other word would be bleeped out. Yes. But it's a great song. Go on, I'm allowed to say you can go on YouTube and listen to it. All right. And we're going to have you call in, 818-985-5735, around 340. But I, have, I could just talk for an hour to myself and to Ricky and to the wall, and we're going to have a great time. Now, Le'Veon Bell is a really interesting story. He's, he's I think, the best running back right now and the, uh, in the National Football League. And he's played for the Pittsburgh Steelers for six or seven years. And he's 27 or 28. And um, last year he got into he got a, everybody got into a beef with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, they put up what's called a franchise tag on him. So I'm just going to talk as if you know what this is. Franchise tag means you're supposed to be a free agent, but you're not a free agent because if we pay you among the top four or five players, then you can't go anywhere. And we can franchise you apparently for two and three years, which is insane. So I blame the National Football League Players Association for this. This is a terrible thing to have given the owners. So you just can't blame the owners. This is insane. Okay. So Le'Veon Bell was supposed to play for Pittsburgh, and he wanted a long-term contract since he'd been there for six years, let's say. They offered him something, but with very little guarantee. Now, one thing you need to know, and this is Eric Mann, I'm on Voices from the Frontlines, is another thing wrong with the National Football League, which the National Football League Players Association has not done, because in general, the National Football League Players Association is in bed with the owners and has given away player rights in an incredible way. Did you know that if you have a 10-year contract in baseball, and on the first year you tear your ankle up, they have to pay you for 10 years. If you have a 10-year uh, contract, and by the way, I'm so sorry about Boogie Cousins, I'm gonna come back to that. But if you have a 10-year contract in basketball, you're not allowed to, a five-year contract, 
if you tear your knee up and can't play again, you get all five years. In the National Football League, you have a six-year contract, but the only first two years are guaranteed, and then you get what's called guaranteed money. And if you tear your knee up, they just tear it up. They say sorry, and they just tear up the contract. So here's where the racism comes in. The, the league is 75% black in terms of the players. The owners are about 100% white. What a, what a surprise. But it's a particularly bad thing for running backs because a running back basically runs into a wall every day. That's what you do. You get a ball and you smash into a wall, except the wall is called the defensive line or the linebacker or even now the safeties. And these people are running at a mile, you know, 400 miles an hour. The average uh, defensive lineman now is six foot six, 320 pounds, and agile. I mean, they used to be at least, you know, nice, big, and fat, and they couldn't move too good. Now they can move. So you're running at full speed. They're running at full speed towards you, and they hit you, but you get 20 or 30 carries a game. So that means you get paid to run into a wall 20 or 30 times. Now, as a result, interestingly, the owners devalue the running back position because they say these guys— are finished when they're 27 or 28 or 30. They're not finished. You finished them. So Le'Veon Bell said to Pittsburgh, I've given you six good years of my life. You're going to franchise me now, and you're going to use me 25 or 30 times a game, times 14 games, is over 500 times I may have 500 or 400 carries. I mean, I get past this here. At the end of this year, if I get an injury, like a torn ACL or as um, Todd Gurley, who's, who's poor, he's, he already has arthritis of the knees and he, he was not even able to play well in the Super Bowl last year. So Le'Veon Bell said, I'm going to hold out until the sixth game and I'm going to come back and you, only have, you don't have to pay me. And I'll come in for the last four or five games and help you win a championship. And they slammed him, and they slandered him. And they, they who wanted to put a one-year slave ship on him, said, well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you a good sport? He said, that's why. I don't want to play for an entire season, get all banged up, then I'll be a free agent, and then nobody will want me. They even used things like you said, they got a lot of tire on his tread. A black man's not a tire, and his body is not a tread. So he said, all right, I'll tell you what. You're making so many nasty remarks about me for holding out, which I have every right to do, that I'm just not going to play this year. And he didn't play. So he lost $17 million, which he was offered. It was still a lot of money. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. But he said, look, I want to play four or five more years, and if you don't want to pay me, then, I mean, it's incredibly brave thing. It's like Kurt Flood with the first free agency. And he got nothing but slander. You know, what's wrong with you, black man? You don't want to work for the white man. And we pay you $17 million. And he says, okay, I don't want to play. I don't want to play this year. And then it turns out that Ben Rothenberg, who I called the Big Ben, they call him Big Ben, I said, uh, banging up his body for the racist Big Ben, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers said, well, we need Ben because everybody else on the team is a bunch of children. So what they're saying is we need the white massa to 
crack the whip on the black children, which is never said racially. It's just we need Ben, whoever happens to be white, to crack the whip on those players, most of whom are black. And Le'Veon Bell said, this is racist. I don't want to play. So at the end of the year, he's now signed a four-year contract with the New York Jets. So if you get it now, New York Knicks, New York Jets, you get it? I'm from New York. You get the connection here? I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Why? Because they're from New York. And I was there when Millie Mayers was the most amazing player. I fell in love with Willie Mays. I fell in love with him so much, I left the Yankees for Willie Mays. I was a Yankee fan. Almost nobody switches teams. It's sort of, it's, it's like brainwashing when you're a kid. You, you just become this team's, you can't do it. I switched because they were winning too much. So I became a, a, a Willie Mays fan and, and therefore a New York Giant fan and then a San Francisco Giant fan. Okay, so we got Le'Veon Bell. And he says... I feel amazing. I need an entire year for my body to heal. Because you don't understand how banged up these players are. You don't understand when they say, oh, you want to play injured, play in pain, all this stuff. They're all, you know, I don't know if you know it, but they've been playing with um, concussions. They've been playing with so many opiates. They've been playing, shooting them up with cortisone and sending them out there. And you don't feel anything. Until you're 32, I saw Dick Butkus on a plane. That guy couldn't walk. He had two crutches. He was maybe 40. He looked horrible. He was one of the greatest, you know, football players of all time. But he was a jet propulsion lab smashing running backs. He was a middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. You don't know how badly these players are. You don't know how many of them are suffering from dementia. And if you're a running back and you have to put your, uh, yeah, uh, 818-985-5735, if you have something to say, I could go to the phones and keep talking. That's a good point. We don't have to wait to just go to the phones completely. 818-985-5735, Ben Rothensberger, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, all right, so Le'Veon Bell, thank you for protecting your body and protecting your soul and being smart. Uh, obviously, I'm thrilled you're going to be with the Jets. I think Adam Gase is going to be really good. I think Sam Donald's going to be really good. And it's going to be fun to be a Knicks fan, and it's going to be fun to be a Jets fan. And if you've been either, if you've been both, I don't know, I'm going to be careful about what medical analogy, but let's just say it's having two horrible conditions that I've had for the rest. You know, it's living at a level of mental and physical pain that I wouldn't wish on anybody. So if the Knicks have a good year and the Jets have a good year, I'm going to be insufferable if I'm not already. Okay. So, Ricky, just so people get tired of listening to me, let's let's put some music on and I'll take a break. If you want to talk sports and if you want to admit that I'm really great on this, 818-985-5735. And, of course, we welcome your views. Tweet me at Eric Mann Speaks. Mistakes I've made a few
Is that Queen? Yeah. Morris from Long Beach. What's up, my brother? Hey, hey, how you doing, my brother? Listen, you were talking about Dick Buskis. Have you seen how Earl Campbell looks today? I'm afraid to see. Man, Earl, it made me want to cry. When I think of Earl Campbell, I think of that time he was uh, running with the Houston Oilers. Yes. And just ran over Isaiah Thomas. I know you remember that play, don't you? Yes. See, there's all the 10,000s of plays in the NFL, but you remember that one. And the man can't walk today. And it's a shame that these guys ain't getting their money. And you talk about the New York Knicks, you best be talking about the Clippers. The Clippers came back from 31 points last night against the world champion Warriors with five all-stars. Now, uh, people don't want to get the Clippers no respect. They're going to take it this year and possibly next year. And you're right about the Knicks. If the Knicks get Zion, uh, get that kid from Duke and, and Kevin Durant and another all-star, they're on the map. You're right. They're on the map. But the Clippers already got a, a greater foundation than the Knicks do, my brother. So the folks want to come to the Clippers, particularly that, you know, they know they want to have to, you know, carry the team. They'll just be joining something that Jerry West has already got successful. But I'm with you on the Knicks, though. If they get lucky, they can be a force next year. But uh, they might get in line behind the Clippers because the Clippers are already to take over the NBA. Thank hey, you, my brother. Morris, stay on the line. Stay on the line. Listen, my next story was called Why on the Dock... Why Doc and the Clips are more magic than Orlando. Although Steve Clifford is doing great work there. We're going to get to that. Are you on still on the line? Nope. Morris is great. He gets in he and gets, gets out. He don't play. Right out. So <laughs> let me go to that story then because you'll understand. Then, Michael, I'll get to you. Last night, in an unbelievable, the most unbelievable, second most unbelievable comeback since Tiger Woods, the Los Angeles Clippers were down 31 points in San Francisco to the Golden State Warriors. 31 points, for those of you who know, is obvious. For those of you who don't, you don't ever come back from 31 points, ever. And this is in the, in the second half, not even in the first quarter. I looked at the score, and as I said, uh, you know, Rachel Nichols did a great riff about why you were sleeping <laughs> because she said, oh, you went to bed when it was 31 points and you woke up and the Clippers won. Uh, Landry Shamit hit an amazing shot. And Morris, you're right. Uh, I'm hoping that if, I, if KD and Kyrie want to go to New York, but I think that uh, Kawhi Leonard is already coming to the Clippers. Because he barely beat, he didn't even beat New Jersey, and he's going to fight his way through. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they have uh, a terrific team, a great, great coach, maybe the best coach in Doc Rivers. They have L.A., and I think Kawhi Leonard, I've been wanting him to stay in Toronto. But after that first game, I said, oh, no, man. I mean, if, I'm pretty good. I'll just remember their, their point guard in a minute. But they're in a lot. What's that? Kyle Lowry. Uh, Ricky, you're on a roll, man. Kyle Lowry is a very, very good point guard. And we're hoping, I, for his sake, regardless of the game, I hope he has a good game tonight. He was 0 for 7, no points. Uh, but if I'm Kyrie and I'm looking at that team, if they don't smash the Nets, if they don't move on and do some great things, even then, it's going to be hard to tell him to stay in Toronto when he can come to L.A., and I think Morris nailed it, that the Clippers are way ahead, and they have two additional draft picks they got from this. Plus, they have uh, 
This Landry Shamit, who they got in the trade with Philadelphia, who just hit the winning shot. He's a rookie. And then they have uh, Shea Gill, just Alexander. They have one of my favorite players of all, uh, Danilo Gallinari, who was a Nick, and the Knicks stupidly traded him to uh, Denver for Carmelo. So I agree with you, Mars. I think the, the Clippers are way ahead of the Knicks. But here's the thing I want to tell you before we get— yeah, thank you. Toronto is facing Orlando Magic, and Philadelphia is, is playing the New York, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. So, here's the point. I think the Clips are ahead of the Knicks. But to give the Knicks a little credit, they now have a plan, and they've stuck with the plan, and it's a true rebuild. It's building around 19- and 20-year-old players. They're in very, very good shape. I, I don't dare to compete with anybody. They're just competing with their own sorry, 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 sorry history. That's all they got to do is be good. I don't—I mean, I'll be happy if you've been a Knicks fan. If you're just in the playoffs, 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 if you're just in the playoffs, I'll be thrilled. But, Morris, you nailed it as always. So I just said why Doc and the Clips are more magic than Orlando. That's a Orlando magic if you don't get the pun. Although Steve Clifford is doing great work there as well. All right. Now, Michael, looking forward to hearing from you. What's up, Michael? Hey, very good show. You are uh, talking with, about Mr. Bell. You got me to, to pick up the phone and call him. But before I get into that just a little bit, just uh, the say hey and in the Coliseum with the moon, you know, with that moon fence and even going into Chavez Ravine later, just when I would see that giant uniform, I'm a, I'm a Dodger fan. Right. Growing up, you know, go back into the Coliseum that far, but seeing that giant uniform and the, you know, and Marischal and them guys, they used to just scare me. It would just be a, you know, I love the Dodgers and, and, but when that, when I'd walk in the stadium and see those colors, I would just go, well, you know, it's just always a brutal game because they were so good, but getting to, to Bell and, and just, that's why I called in. What sure. got me to, you know, I'm an old white guy, and just what he's doing and just making the the man, you know, just doing that. The the balls it takes, and and Kaepernick. I watched him at Nevada Reno for four years, and then seeing what he got to do in those stadiums and guys taking a knee. And I just I I'm just I salute you, man. I just you know it's just it's so slow. It's been so long, and it, but just for Mister Bell to do that to that ownership, I just. It's awesome, and now I hope the Jets go to the playoffs. And I, I just hope he has a great year. But you know, you just with your your emotional thing there on on him, you got me to to pick up the phone, and I just think it's it's such a it's just long coming, and and these guys to to stand up to the to the massa is just hey, more power to it, you know. Thanks, God Michael. That's that's yeah. very nice, and you're absolutely right. Very generous what you said. I mean, the thing is very interesting about. You know, this, the country has not seemed to be mad about anything. You know, I mean, Trump does outrageous things, right, every day. And, of course, the Democrats, I, I want you to hear this. I think the Democrats, they're not really mad. They don't care. They've done not as bad. But this is all a staged outrage, you know, like in Hillary will be so outraged at what Trump said. You know, uh, she was the one who said uh, black people are super predators. And she and Bill put, said, we have to get rid of welfare as we know it. But there's not a lot of anger, really. There's very little real anger against Trump. But there's sure a lot of anger towards black people. You know, I mean, just shocking to me that here's a capitalist system that says very simply, if somebody offers you a contract for $17 million, 
If you don't want it, you don't take it. How simple is that? And yet he just said, no hard feelings. I don't want to play. And I don't want to run 400 times into a wall this year. And just like you said, Michael, the rage against him and the vilification against him, what the guy did wrong. And it just shows if whatever a black person says, there is a rage behind it that's just looking for a target already. It doesn't matter what you do. uh, You're going to get the results. So thank you. And uh, very nice call. Uh, keep going. Uh, this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national sports radio show, and um, in studio with Channing. Or Ricky's being—he's—he's he's on the case, man. As fast as I—if I make one little mistake, he catches it so fast and throws me all these cues. I really appreciate it. So I think here's the point: is if we're going to get to—I have about six or seven other stories like this. Sports is a metaphor in a lot of ways. You know, it's a stage. People get all excited about things that are not really what they're excited about. They're, um, what's the word? They're they're sort of stand-ins for other issues that people feel. So obviously, black people have been allowed, for instance, have been denied any form of aggression. And aggression is a, a murderable offense. Any, you know, I mean, anything but the fully happy slave is grounds for, for true, I don't want to go into all the horrible things, but the beatings and, you know, and so forth. So sports has been one place where black people have been allowed to be very aggressive because the, the white man watches them like the, you know, the Romans would watch the gladiators, you know, and they, they go, they bet on their own black people and they get all, you see white people all excited. And then when the black person says, excuse me, I have an idea. Idea? No, get back on the field. What idea? We didn't ask you to have an idea, says the white man. We just want you to catch the ball, and as this white woman said to uh, LeBron, just shut up and dribble. So we are in the age, thank goodness, of some level of black assertiveness in the realm of intellect and politics, in the realm of sports, not even remotely as much as could be and should be allowed. So on the issue of LeBron, when LeBron left Miami, his contract was up. He was a free agent. Go see my article in Counterpunch. He just said, thank you very much. I did four years in Miami. I'd like to go back to Cleveland. They vilified him when he left Cleveland to go to Miami. And then they vilified him when he went to Miami back to Cleveland. What's the answer? The slave cannot run away from the plantation. When you are... Playing in Cleveland, you're our person. When you're playing in the, in Miami, you're our LeBron. And if LeBron has a mind that says now he went to L.A., the attacks on him are just ferocious, including how he's been treated now, which I want to come to in a minute about magic and everybody. 818-985-5735. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. And I'd love to hear your opinions on sports. And thank you both, Morris and um, Michael, for your responses so far. We'd love to hear from you, 818-985-5735. Here's one. Why I'm so happy for Luke Walton in Sacramento. Luke Walton was the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. His father is Bill Walton, who was voted Pontificator of the Year. 
the most arrogant, obnoxious, oh, Coach Wooden wouldn't do it this way. Yeah, Bill, we know Coach Wooden wouldn't do it. That was 40 years ago. He was a very, very good basketball player, but he is the most horrible sports announcer. But his kid, his son, Luke Walton, was a very good, you know, average white player, <laughs> average white band. He was a, you know, a, a good role player for the Los Angeles Lakers for many years. Actually outperformed. He was, you know, better than average, but he was, he was just uh, a journeyman. He went to work for Golden State and with Steve Kerr, and he was the uh, assistant coach there. And when Steve Kerr was out, he gave Luke Walton the job, which is Steve Kerr got very, very sick with his back and had to be out for most of the season. Luke Walton then was the coach, and he, he won like 40 straight games. Now, obviously, he didn't mainly win them. The Golden State Warriors won them because they had the best team. But he went to the Lakers, and in my opinion, he was a sacrificial lamb, and Magic, I think, totally screwed up and treated him terribly. And now, the day after he fired, they fired him, he was hired as the coach of the Sacramento Kings, which is terrific because Sacramento, which is a small market, is a terrific young team, and De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley Jr., and I think Buddy Heald, and they got a lot of very, very fine players, more than, you know, it's got Bogdanovich, I think his name is, and they're really terrific, and they came within an inch of making the play. They're going to make the playoffs next year for sure. So thank you, Luke. You know, this is not Magic's greatest day, and how he treated you, and this year the, he publicly humiliated you with after the third or fourth game, let the word out that he didn't like how you were coaching, so your agent must have been calling Sacramento and already saying, listen, everybody hears I'm being fired. You think I, I'm getting out of this lunatic asylum. Uh, I want to be fired because I got a contract. I can't quit. Please fire me so I can get out of here. And he went to Sacramento, and he's going to live happily ever after. And I'm happy for the Sacramento Kings, and I'm happy for Luke Walton. Uh, Warren from Mar Vista, what's up? You with Eric Mann? You're on Voices from the Front Lines. Thank you. Um, two things. First, uh, could you give me an explanation of exactly what political means? I have trouble understanding how people use this word. And what's your second question? Uh, I want to present something, which is that um, I constantly hear many people complain about how corporations are evil and manipulative, and I don't... Thank you so much for not having any relevant comments about 45 minutes. Folks, there's a very low bar <coughs> to call in. It's called listener participation. You have to pretend that you are listening. That's not hard. I did it through sixth, seventh grade a lot of times. I'd be in the back of the room and the hiding. I would always sit in the back because I didn't know what was going on. I'd hide behind the kid, and then when they... I'm pretty tall, and I would hide, and they'd call me, and I'd go, yeah, um, math. I'm really, in. yeah, the, the whole, with the numbers thing, and that's why we're here, to, to learn that the numbers, uh, and she, Eric, sit down and shut up. Yeah. But you're supposed to pretend you are listening, okay? And if you have a pre-existing theory that has nothing to do with the show, it's not good radio, but it's, it's not fair, okay? So thank you very much for calling. Uh, now let's try again with Martellius and Pasadena. I know this is going to be much better, I hope. What's happening, I, my I, friend? 
Thank you very much for your opening program on sports. I thought that Magic Johnson resigned and then Luke resigned after Magic resigned. I didn't know. They didn't say he fired him. Yeah, he was fired. Um, Magic was trying to fire Luke all along. And uh, when Magic resigned, which I don't think he handled well at all, by the way, uh, then Rob Palenka is the only one last one standing, and Rob Palenka fired uh, Luke Walton the next day. Okay. Any thoughts you have more on the show? That's it at this time. Thank you so much. Continue success. All right. Nice of you to call. 818-985-5735. Ricky said Luke wasn't Magic's guy, but they always say that. But also, apparently, neither was D'Angelo Russell. Uh, they gave away. Uh, neither was Junius Randall, apparently. Uh, neither was, uh, and in fact, you know, they got uh, um, not Robin Lopez. What's his brother's name? Brooke Lopez. Uh, hey, this Ricky, I'm serious. This is, this is, thank God for you. So, Brooke Lopez is a terrific, terrific outside shooter. They said the, the, the Lakers need shooters. They had this guy. He went instead to Milwaukee on a super cheap contract. He worked with Mike Budenholzer. He's doing a phenomenal job with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he's playing at, a, I mean, at an all-star level. So Magic and Rob Palenka totally massacred their choices at the Lakers. And Magic quit on Jeannie without telling her at an impromptu press conference that he went off to tweet. And I don't think he handled it well at all. But more importantly, I think the two of them made just a series of terrible, terrible mistakes. 818-985-5735. Um, let's see, I'm waiting for the, it's Q from Ohio. what's up? Hey there, Eric, three things, and we have to realize that in professional sports, these are all large egos we're dealing with, and especially Magic and his connection to the family and his connection to the team. So what I'm saying is, you know, when a, when a team like the Lakers, based just purely on the money that they're earning, when they're underperforming, of course everyone's going to look at Luke and say, hey, Luke, what's the problem? I believe in, in listening to him, especially when they are defeated, that he is dealing with simply personalities who are very, very tough, not just to control, but at this point, as a coach, for him to actually teach. And I think one of the problems that Magic had, and I'm saying this because of your previous caller stating, you know, what's the definition of political? Magic had it with all the backstabbing and the, pardon my language, BS that was going on in the background. And and thank you so much, Q. I'm going to respond to your point. Thanks for calling. You're on Voices from the Frontlines. This is Eric Mann responding to Q. I'm going to go right to Harvey in Norwalk. I want to make sure we get more listeners in. You have about two minutes, but make your point, and I'm really looking forward to hearing you on Voices from the Frontlines. Yes, Harvey, yeah, what's I, up? 
Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. Thank you for calling. You're on Voices with Eric Ben. Yes. I'm uh, from New York also. Cool. And, uh, and um, you had mentioned uh, about the Knicks winning the championship the first time, I think. I think you got the year. Uh, it's the prior year than what you said. Well, I said 1971. Uh, but you're right, because I think... No, I got out of prison in 71. I went in 70. So maybe you're right. You think they won in 70 the first year? Yeah, that was the first. And also, that year that you said, I think if they had got in to the finals with with the Bucks, they would have... Uh, they would have uh, given the Bucks a real run for the money that year, but they they uh, lost uh, in the uh, you know semifinals in the East to the Baltimore Bullets. Yeah, and it was great they but got Earl Monroe that, that they came back. Yeah, but they matched up more good with the Bucks. Uh, Unfield was the center, and he just didn't match up with Kareem. If you recall that year, I don't know, calling seven one. You know, he just, he just, you know, there was no contest. He couldn't contain uh, in any way uh, uh, Kareem. So, yeah. Uh, Thanks a lot for calling, my brother. This is very nice, okay? Good point. And stay in touch, New Yorker. Okay. Thank you, man. You have a nice rest of your day. All Thank right. You, you take care. Uh, I'm going to just listen to everybody. Lee in Pasadena. Hey, Lee, is that you? Okay, how about uh, Bill in Lake Elsinore? Hi, Eric. How you doing today? Good. Thank you for calling Voices from the Front Lines. Oh, I love the show. Always, always participate. Hey, um, I remember when I was a child growing up in L.A., how the sporting uh, venues were, were kid-friendly. You know, you could walk, roam around and meet all the players and, and all the celebrities and, and go there for a couple bucks. But then just greed and corruption seemed to take, not the players were fans, but the the... the the uh, organized crime that that runs the NFL and the NBA. You, uh, like, how come you put your home in Hawk and then you have to pay uh, hundreds of dollars just to go see your your local team, forty bucks for parking, and just go through all that nightmare just to you know after you put your home on a uh, you know, bond issue when to build that stadium? <laughs> well, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the whole thing is. I mean, if you want to look at, thank you very much. I mean, the whole political economy, this is madness. The blackmailing of comp- communities around forcing public money for, uh, you know, and that at least to give the, uh, you know, there's always public money behind even the LA uh, Rams, but at least there's a growing backlash against that. There's phenomenal TV revenues, so you can't, you know, the average person in America fails. They fail because the system is stacked against them. You, if you own a team, you cannot fail. You just, you just be a rich white guy, buy the team at whatever number, and the growing TV revenue will make you a billionaire. So thank you. Uh, is Bill, that was yeah. Bill. Thank you, Bill. I'm going to go to the next call thank if that's you. okay. That's why I love cycling, though. <laughs> that's right. Good move. That's why I'm starting to do hiking. Cool. Uh, Who's that? So who's our next one? Two minutes left. All right. Is there any other callers? Or No. Okay. So I'm going to tie up. Uh, thanks a lot for listening, everybody, you know, and really thank you, Ricky, for, I mean, for 27 great insights. No, I mean it, man. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, sports is fun. 
you know, at the at Voices from the Front Lines, we had a conga player, my one of my teachers, and we're going to do, I want to do a show on uh, Shakira album, which I think is just, I play every morning when I do yoga, and it's one of the great, great albums of all time. And we're just trying to change up, same politics, same worldview, but different venues. So thanks for listening. I mean, when the brother was talking about, I mean, I could have let him go on much longer, and I'm sorry I didn't, but... You know, Wesley Unseld and back to, you know, Kareem when he was Lou Alcindor. And it's just, you know, for a lot of us. And and, uh, next time I want to say I have two granddaughters in the South Central uh, Girls Soccer League. So I wish we had more women calling up, but I didn't talk about women's sports. So that's one reason. But anyway, I hope you had a good time. I had a good time. Uh, I wrote down why... Doc and the Clippers are more magic than why the Nets are the bomb, how Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, D'Angelo Russell are playing lights out. Oh, my God, I didn't do why Kristaps Porzingis may be a white chauvinist. Oh, my God, what else could the Knicks and David Fisdale have done to kiss up to him? Fisdale even flew to Latvia, a favorite destination for black folks. Saying he was making progress in his rehabilitation, only be jerked around by Kristaps on Snapchat. All right, if the Knicks get Kyrie Irving with the salary cap room, plus Dennis Smith Jr. and two first-round picks, I think they're good to move on, and they really had no choice. So with that, the Kristaps Porzingis family can call me for next week. Thanks for being on Voices from the Front Lines. It was fun for me. And let's go out with Nina Simone. I did it my way. And so I got to face the final curtain, VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com And you can still tweet me at Eric Mann Speaks. Thank you, Channing. Thank you, Ricky. And uh, see you next Tuesday. We're going to have a tribute to the late Gary Stewart. Take good care of yourself. I've